Hey guys, welcome to the Sound of a Crowd podcast. Um, this is a show where we chat with colorful creators and entrepreneurs from a Ghanaian background or interest, uh, promoting global Ghanaian excellence to the world. Um, I am joined today by a very special guest, Tim Swain. Mr. Tim Swain, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm Excellent. doing great. Excellent. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, Tim is really one of my um, favorite YouTubers, but it doesn't stop there, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you can't put this guy in a box. I mean, he's an author, he's an artist, he's an educator, he's a writer, he's a um, speaker. I mean, the, the, the list goes on, right? But we're going to get a bit more into, you know, Tim's background and his experience and what he does. Um, but yeah, he's one of my favorite YouTubers out here in Ghana as well. I mean, not necessarily um, just the, the content that he puts out um, from Ghana, but also he's got purposeful content content that that has a purpose to impact people and it's really touched me it's really really inspired me so i'm really excited to have him here with me for today's show notes guys i would like you to head over to the soundofacrowd.com forward slash tim swain so that's t-i-m-s-w-a-i-n man tim it's great to be with you man man thank you i appreciate it ah yeah thank yeah. you thank you for coming down um so we met we bumped into each other at accra connect yeah yeah so shout out to asantiwa and adwa from gh londoners for putting that event together i know you guys you know you guys went all out of that event <laughs> yeah it was giving us event. free foods and we went from we went from just having free drinks to free for drinks and free food it was free drinks yeah it was free drinks you don't know <laughs> really yeah I didn't you know that know. no I didn't oh, know <laughs> you, 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 you didn't get the memo okay. I didn't get the memo man um what was it called? Asanto, I think she called almost every single person on the list that was telling her about the event. But even I, I, on the, on the I, I, thing, I registered late. You registered late. Okay, yeah, so you probably didn't have enough time. But that's right. Yeah, anyway, yeah. man. Anyway, I'm sure you got um. But the next one. Next one. Listen. We we, we gonna be there. We gonna be the next yeah. one. But yeah, um, so I bumped into Tim at Accra Connect, and yeah, I was I was really um shocked to see him there because obviously I'm a huge fan of his channel, and yeah, obviously when I saw Tim speak and. When I saw him do his little pitch, I was just blown away by um, like the the power in his voice and you know how well he communicates to an audience. And I was like, this guy has to be more than YouTube. He has to have some kind of probably a poetic artist background, whatever, a performance background, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, Tim, yeah. Um, great. So yeah, bumped into you at Quark Connect. Yeah. Obviously, we exchanged um, details and things like that. Um, I want to ask you something, right? Um, obviously you, you seem like someone who, I mean, when I, when I look at your Instagram and I look over your YouTube, um, there's clearly people that inspire you, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. This is just a random question. G name, name me some five or give me a few Instagram pages that maybe public pages that you follow, um, that, that inspires you. Cause I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just curious to know like what inspires you, but we're going to go more into that like in another level but I mean just yeah. just a random little icebreaker is, is there any is there oh just like name one Instagram page okay, that so inspires you I, I would say one of the ones that inspires me right now is yeah. a podcast it's a business podcast business podcast it's called Earn Your Leisure Earn Your Leisure yeah I love I, that I podcast know them, I know those guys because when I first started watching it um, the content they were bringing it was it was just real 100% straight facts about everything in terms of business you know a lot of times when you have the podcast or whatever you know, one of the things they say is don't give game for free, right? Don't educate people for free. 
But one of their goals was to be able to educate particularly marginalized communities, black and brown communities. And the reality is you have to give something away for free. You do, yeah. But, I mean, they would give everything from, like, the websites they used to start their business. to. Re- I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> and th- the thing that stood out to me most about them was mm. it was so much rich information and you saw that, okay, man, when you really help people in a way that they need it, it comes back to you. So that's what inspired me. I was like, wow, these dudes. It does. And to look at them now, it's just like, man, they, they've, they've taken up. off. They've blown up. I think there's a number of podcasters that have blown up like that. Yeah. Um, another one that is similar to Earn Your Leisure is, um, have you said David Shirts? David Shards? David Shards? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, David Never Sleeps. Um, the, yeah. 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 yeah the, the Social Proof Podcast. Yeah. Love it. He gives a lot of value in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's good to hear that, you know, you've got some, like, we have some like-minded uh, pages that we kind of follow and we're <coughs> inspired by. Um, so yeah, look, I want to get into like your background, like your background's quite diverse, quite experienced. Um, talk me through like your, your career. So like, um, I know you've got like a, you know, a very educated background. I, I know you've done a few things in your career, especially in the, um, space of like academia, universities and things like that. I mean, t- talk me through that actually. Yeah, I mean, most of it is a result of being confused in life. So you just do a bunch of different things. But my educational background is in uh, communications and higher education. Okay. And then recently in Ghana, I did a degree in theology. Okay. And really it was stemmed from my desire was um, I took communication studies thinking that communications was the same thing as public speaking. Yeah. It wasn't. um, But I thought it was going to help me be a better speaker. But nevertheless, I did that. I didn't know what I wanted to do after four years of school. Someone said you should do higher education because you're doing leadership programs all the time on campuses. So I was like, yo, people get paid to do that. I was like, yeah, that's what we do. So I didn't know what I was going to (laughs) do. So I went and got a a master's degree in higher education at Texas State University. Okay. Amazing institution. I heard heard so much about TSU. They usually refer it to, right? Texas State. Texas State. Yeah, TSU is Texas Southern. Oh, okay. It's a different university. Yeah, it's a different university. It's it's all good, man. Um, Don't want to tread where I've never been been to Texas yet. Most people ain't going to trip like that. (laughs) Um, but, But I didn't know, man, and I think that. Uh, for me, it was really like seeing the power of education. I know people that transformed my life, particularly in academia, yeah. who who could explain to you why you were feeling a certain way, who can explain to you why certain systems were in place and who had history. And then later on, when I did my, um, my, my uh, degree here in Ghana, it was really based off of I wanted to get more perspective about the spirituality of African peoples, but I didn't want it from a Western perspective. And I knew I was not going to be able to find the type of institution I wanted, which is basically an African or a black institution centered in Pan-African values that's teaching from a black theological or African theological perspective in the States. Yeah, Yeah, right. So because it's so much. Yeah. So I came here to Ghana and I did that, man. And, you know, and uh, but my first love is poetry, though. Yeah. That's my first love. Like, beyond the shadow of a doubt. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Like, how did you get into poetry? I'm sure you. Yeah. So growing up, um, you know, everybody rapped. Oh man. I mean, everybody was I rapping as well. Everybody, <laughs> like everybody wants to be a rapper. Yeah. Um, but I realized rapping it was uh, it was very confined. Like I wanted to like scream or yell or shout. Yeah. And you can't necessarily do that in a way that I wanted to. But I went. I was eight. I was like maybe seventeen or something like that. I went to yeah. a club in okay. in Houston and I saw this guy on stage. Um, I forgot the name of the spot now, but down in Houston, this guy on stage and he was doing something I never saw. Like he was just wow. going off and like and the radiance, the, the the cadence. And I said, "What is that?" What? I said that spoken word. Yeah. I said, "Wow!" And he just seemed so free and so like just unconstrained. And I went home and I tried to write one, 
and it was terrible, but I kept doing it. And um, and, and it was, I mean, that's my first love, man. Yeah. I'm very, when I'm on the stage and I'm doing like poetry, I yeah. feel like, I, I literally feel like invincible, man. Right. I, I really feel like this gift God has given me to impact. Do you know, you know, like the Jackie Hill Perry's, Joseph Solomon's, those kind of guys? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so funny story is, I mean, I met Jackie Hill Perry a long time ago through really? a conference. Uh, nice. It's called the Impact Movement. Okay. And someone told me about one of her poems. Mm. And I, I usually, I mean, I, I, I see a lot of poetry, so it's kind of like, ah, whatever. Yeah. But I remember, when you remember where you were when you heard a song or something like that, that means it's impactful. Yeah. Jackie Hill uh, Perry had a poem called My Life as a Stud. Yeah. I was at my desk at Austin Community College okay. at the Pinnacle Campus. Okay. Uh, if somebody's watching this from the station, they know that. <laughs> I watched her poem. Okay. I literally pushed the like my, my seat away from the desk. Whoa. I was almost in tears oh my because gosh. of the authenticity mm. and the sincerity, but yet the creativity and innovation in that poem. I said, who is this person? <laughs> and it was crazy, man. So I met her some years later at this conference, man. And um, anyway, man. And so, she, you know, like a lot of folks, man, she skyrocketed. Yeah. That whole P4CM movement. That's it. I, um, I was trying to remember the movements that she's associated with. I mean, and they have like a poetry kind of background as well, P4CM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, it took off, man. It really yeah. gave people a lot of platform to be creative, particularly in the Christian community, well, um, yeah. to talk about issues related to that. So, so yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> amazing. Because like I was spending, I was going through your website. And I was like, man, this guy's like, is he performing? Is he a performer? Or is he an artist? What what is he? But then I think it kind of makes sense. Um, how you know how you got into that? So you got into poetry. Um, and you did you you released like a little album, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did, man. I did. I released an album called Stained Glass Poetry. Yeah. Um, you can actually find it on uh, Spotify and everything nice. like that. I, yeah, so I, I released it, man. I think uh, I think it was a great uh, opportunity for me to get my voice out there, yeah. and um, yeah, it, it, you know, you, you know, your first project it was like I, I was like listening to some of the engineering. I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. But now I listen, I'm like, oh my god, why didn't you fix that little tweak, the little that? You know, you, you as a as a yeah. as an artist, you're like the most critical on yourself. Yeah. So when I hear it now, I'm just like, ah. But like, anyway. Yeah, it gives you goosebumps. You don't, it's like people don't like hearing their own voice sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, I mean, you just get better over time. Yeah. You know, the more um, content you pull out. So, okay. So, you, so did you get into rapping at all? It was just, it was just poetry. Yeah, I used, I used to rap, man, because. Was that before your poetry days? Yeah, so when I, in Houston, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the type of music like called screw, screw music. Like no. it's very slow. Oh, chopped and screwed. Yes, okay. exactly. Right. So that, that originated in Houston. Yeah, I heard. Um, the person uh, who started there was DJ Screw. DJ Screw. So that was, I oh, mean. wow. All these people. All those, right. So, I mean, I was actually around some of those people growing up because my brother um, um, is a barber. Yeah. And so, you know, like some of the studios used to be just right, just right there. Yeah. And so you just kind of grew up in that environment. And then, um, and so I was like, man, I want to rap. And I rap, man. And, um, you know, I just, like I said, Things shifted when I saw that poet mm. because I felt like rapping was too, like, for me, it was too confined. Like, I wanted yeah. to just, like, scream at something. Scream stuff, yeah. And they don't sound like you're, like, rapping, like, da, 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 ah, out of nowhere. Like, what? <laughs> it's a bit more poetry. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah but exactly. Everybody rapped, man. Yeah, every, yeah. every young black boy <laughs> rapped at some <laughs> rapped, point. Yeah. Okay. But did you, what, what did you, I mean, what was your, like, did you have, like, a, like a, like a career or like a dream that you wanted to do? Like in terms of like, I wanted to be this or I wanted to be this or... Man, you know, it sounds, it's going to sound crazy, okay. but my dream was to actually do what I'm doing now. When, when I was young, I said that when I'm older, 
when I turned like 40, I'm not even there yet. Okay. I said, I'm going to settle down, get like a square church girl yeah. and <laughs> go around the world doing poetry and like Wonderful. working in the communities. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I have a girl, she's not a square church girl, but you know, I have a wife now, I'm yeah. not 40 Beautiful. and I, and I literally get to be able to, you know, especially to work in Ghana and other places. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm able to really do what I feel like, you know, God has called me to do. Um, but that was my dream and I, I wanted to just be like, I just wanted to be, you know, around the world, well known for really um, bringing the gifts and talents that I have to impact and, and empower other people. That was yeah. it, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, you, it's that's really powerful because you get. I mean, there's lots of most people would say, oh, they wanted to be like celebrity, want to be a singer, rapper, an artist. I mean, I wanted to be an athlete when I was growing yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be like a, like the next Usain Bolt, whatever, but for the UK kind of thing. Wow. You know, whatever. Oh, Carl. I mean. I mean, I can't remember the name of this, the sprinters from the UK, but anyway, that, that you know, that yeah. one Olympic gold and stuff like that. But I mean, originally, I wanted to be like an Olympic sprinter. And when I moved to, when I moved to Ghana when I was in two, 2001, that dream kind of got shattered because obviously I was no longer having access, you know, to that platform, to yeah, the facilities. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it went. And then when I got into music at 16, just like how you kind of got into poetry, um, I wanted to be a music producer. I got exposed to rapping. I got exposed to Fruity Loops and making beats, mm-hmm, beats mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I got back to London, I was like, oh, I want to be a music producer and stuff. And um, yeah, then obviously that dream got shattered when I got to university and I you know, became a Christian. So yeah, um, yeah so I think for me, it's like I, th- that had certain dreams, but then, you know, God can maybe change things around your life and then give you a bit more purpose. So I love that the fact that you want to, you know, live your life of purpose and you don't have the typical stereotypical dreams oh I want to be this I want to be that yeah, yeah. Like you want to go out and make an impact like from the get go and that's really inspiring that's quite rare in mm-hmm. all honesty now I wanted to be I mean like everybody I wanted to be rich and famous and buy, buy my mother a house yeah I mean you know you know that's that's like the young black boys American starter dream. starter kit for dream, dream right? yeah yeah what's you know? been sold as the American dream yeah. for, like to the whole world kind of thing yeah, okay, cool. But so look, you touched upon communities, Tim. I want to talk about that. Um, you seem to be a community-driven, uh, purpose-driven uh, gentleman. Let's talk about the actually, uh, and also this kind of overlaps a little bit with the poetry thing. Yeah. Talk me through the, um, the, the was, it, was it the Ghana Knife campaign you did in, in London? I mean, oh, the, for the, London? The, 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 the anti-bullying Anti-bullying, thing. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, so what happened was this, man. I was doing a poem one day at the university and a guy who was doing, um, I think he was doing either internship or something like that in higher education. He saw it. He was like, yo, I want to take this back to London. Yeah. And long story short, what well, really the real story is. Well, I ain't gonna tell the real story, but I'll, but I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll make it the, the nice story. What happened was okay. we we communicated, and um, he utilized the work, the poem. It was a poem called "Why I Write." Okay. And I wrote the poem because I was a part of a diversity team, so it was like challenge with like write a poem about why different people write, whether you are black, white, gay, straight, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And so he he loved it. He he and he went back, and I don't know what he did, but he took it back and he created this whole campaign around anti-bullying. Yeah. Um, it made like the BBC and stuff like that. And um, the way I found out about it was I was, I didn't really know that that was happening, actually. <laughs> what happened was I was just uh, bored one night in my dorm room, and I said, let me Google my name. Yeah. And um, it came up in London. I said, really? That's interesting. <laughs> Tim Swain's. 
why I write anti-bullying camp. I said, wow. You didn't know about your own No, I didn't, man. I didn't. <laughs> That's I, hilarious. I put it on my resume now. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, everything worked out, man. I mean, the guy, I mean, he was, he was um, he, a re- really amazing dude. He, was a, he is a really amazing guy. Okay. Um, just a, a big fan of the, the content and just wanted to see it, you know, accomplish its higher purpose. So, yeah. Um, so, that, that's how that happened. And was that written or oral? It was, it was, it was the, the thing that he did in London. Yeah. Uh, what happened was, um, actually we reproduced it back in the States. So okay. basically, um, it was like this big diversity program. Okay. And then every, there was about, I don't remember how many parts of the poem it was, but like maybe like four perspectives or five perspectives. Okay. So each person memorized a part of the poem and they stood up like embodying that piece. Yeah. And then it kind of, and then I closed out the performance you know as a as the last part so wonderful yeah so it was, a, it was a performance piece yeah wonderful yeah and i think probably for that time particular time it was quite big in terms of um you know the whole um bullying campaign probably at that time i think bullying was pretty much a thing it was trending in london at that time so um yeah man shout out to you and um you talk, talk me through because obviously like you've um you've got a thing or you've you've been involved in working in or working or working with or get working within under underrepresented communities yeah. in um in America, right? Yeah. But I mean I, I wouldn't really say it's the like the, the, the was it would you say it's like the projects, the ghettos, or is it more kind of like just all of it. Who, all of, all it, of yeah? it. I mean people I mean or people, like the more kind of underprivileged areas. Yeah, I mean yeah. people use you got your education terms, low socioeconomic, under under uh under resourced, underutilized, marginalized, but at the end of the day it's the hood, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a. I didn't grow up poor. Like, I don't have a story like my mom was on crack, my dad was in jail. Like, no, yeah. I, I grew up with two parents. Okay, weren't perfect Stable family, but they did their best. Like, okay. my father, my mother, they always provided the type of environment where we we had something to eat and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really like, I was here. Mm-hmm. The hood was like right there. It was very <laughs> no. close. And so, and I, you know, I was have. This in tech, was this in Texas State? No, this is this is like in Houston. In Houston, okay. I mean, oh my God, I mean, okay. it's so, so much. So we're in Texas. Yeah, then. so it's a lot. It's a lot of crime and stuff like that. And so, um, mm. and I have brothers that was one of my, you know, one of my brothers was, you know, selling drugs and stuff like that. So I was exposed to the environment. Okay, but I think what I saw more than anything was I think the the first place of trying to make an impact is really looking at the things in life that we are deficient in. You know what I'm saying? So I was deficient in friends. And meaningful relationships, okay. but I wanted to give back because I knew there was other people out there like me. So I started, and I honestly, man, I really just believe it was something that God put in my heart. Like it ain't no like I just had this drive and this desire. No, at the end of the day, God put it in my heart to really just know that it wasn't about me, even before I had a personal relationship with Him. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, from a young age, man, I was like volunteering at libraries and stuff like that. And like I said, I had this vision like one day I'm gonna go and make an impact in communities around the world. And um, and I just got and that's just been a uh, a trend that started when I was like 16. I remember I volunteered like the local library helping kids read and stuff like that. Yeah. And just the feeling that you get when you can help somebody else or like, you know, we was on all kind of like social programs. Like I can't you know, I can't I can't uh, play like I literally can't uh, play football, basketball, or anything. Like I can't dribble a ball or anything like this. So I was not involved in sports you're, in school. You're not into you're not involved in any kind of sports activities I, I mean, like that. It was I, just kind of like it's always kind of social focused. Yeah, I mean like so in. while everybody else was doing like the football and basketball, it was like, hey, here's this leadership club in school. Yeah. And it was like other kind of like that you know dorky leaders. And I was like, Okay, I yeah. fit in here. Yeah. And um and they were like doing things and I was like, This is really cool. 
um, to see what kind of an impact you can have on somebody else. And that's just been something I think that um, has stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? Wow. That's quite powerful. And was there any like any like any um, low moments that you were like that you went through just being involved in those like, environments? Like, was there any kind of like any really kind of tough um, moments that you kind of went through because you were in that environment? Was there any tough things that you or maybe you witnessed in that area that kind of made you realize, ah, oh, man, like I really, really need to do something about um, helping these communities, helping these environments to become better? I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. You know, like, it's kind of like, it's similar, too, because, like, when I moved to Ghana, I realized, like, there's a, there's so many similarities, I think, just in impoverished communities everywhere in the world. Yeah. So, particularly, you know, my focus is black America. Yeah. I'm black, unapologetically. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. And when you go to a lot of our environments, man, when you understand the history of why the environment is the way that it is, I think that's the most saddening part, because when you realize, oh... You know, this particular part of the city has no money because, you know, just 70 years ago, black people couldn't live here. Right. And then these other people maybe came and built structures, but didn't allow, you know, my grandfather and them to even work here. Yeah. So why or even live here. So while your grandfather was accumulating wealth via real estate. Yeah. My grandfather didn't have the opportunity to do that. And now your children's children are benefiting from that yeah so when you when you understand that okay it's a systemic issue that's what i'm trying to get to that a lot of the issues are systemic that's the part that becomes really challenging i think that my most recent position when i worked in indiana indianapolis indiana i worked on the east side which is basically like you know the hood again yeah and um you see a lot of amazing creative talented people but you see the traumas that they've experienced that is literally like a weight holding them back. Like when you have somebody that's 19 telling you very casually, oh yeah, I saw my brother get killed when I was 10 and my cousin yeah. get killed when I was, you know, 12. And yeah, his, you know, just, just gross stuff that a kid could not, should not go through. Yeah. Um, at 19 or 20, it, it makes you just like, man, like this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. So these are the kind of things that get you, you know, that kind of get you stirred up and wanting to say action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And um, how did you actually end up in Ghana? Because obviously, we obviously you just mentioned talking about yeah. how you have a, had a passion for, you know, maybe going around the world and maybe even just getting involved in pan pan Africanism. I mean, how did you kind of end up? I mean, obviously, like your <coughs> your career, your, your academia. I mean, of course, it's quite, you know, kind of like relevant to you know, yeah. big people and people in Africa and some movements, yeah. movements that's taking place in Africa, whether it's a Kwame Nkrumah or whatever. Yeah. Um, like how did you actually end up in right here in Ghana? Um, this is going to really sound like a really um, cliche answer. Go on, go for it. But it's really by God's grace, man, because I didn't grow up in a family that pushed, like, know your roots, know where you come from. Yeah. And not to their fault, but what happened was I always had this desire to, like, I knew that being black was not what I was told. Yeah. And along the way, I read books that transformed my life. One of the books, most powerful books I read was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. I read that when I was like 14 and it changed my paradigm about being a very strong, uh, value-centered, God-centered person of African descent. Yeah. And when he talked about Africa, you know, one of his quotes is, you know, you can't hate the roots of a tree and not hate the tree. <laughs> right. And he has so many other quotes about Africa and it, it just piqued my curiosity. But fast forward to... Um, 
you know, it was it was almost like a pipe dream. The way you want to be a rapper, yeah, I want to go to Africa because yeah. you don't really. Well, I didn't really know anyone that's traveled to the continent. Yeah, like there's there's no one in my family. Yeah, no one in my immediate circle was going back. Yeah, but I got involved. You know, what happened was really I always wanted to go, but I got involved in a, um, an organization called the Impact Movement, which mm-hmm. is a nonprofit that works in communities yeah. of African descent, and they were doing a mission trip. Wow. And they said, we're going to Africa. But they actually, they said, we're going to Ghana. Ghana yeah. All I heard was Africa. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get there, Yeah, but I'm going. The, I want to I say this, right? I love Americans that I've been around or I've seen, you know, especially African-Americans. Um, some I don't know why some of them look down on Africa or they, they see Africa as, oh, it's like, when, when, when they mention Africa, it's like... It's a bush. It's, it's like, it's not even that it's a bush. Like, it's, like, it's not even like... They, they see Africa like, like a country. Oh, yeah, Africa. yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Same thing with London. Oh, one of my friends, when I was in um, Virginia or whatever, right? One of my, my friend's friend for Africa. I mean, London was a country. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a little bit of ignorance. There's yeah. a little bit of, oh, Africa is, you know, it's nothing. Yeah. But when I actually come here, it's like, oh, man, I want to actually buy land. And yeah, things yeah. Like that. Like, where, where do you think that comes from? Like, the it's, whole it's our training, down, man. It's just the, the brainwashing. Or... I mean, if you think about it, let's say my, my family is representative of, I think, a lot of families, which is there's historically, without trying to get too complicated, but historically, Africa was divorced. Positive images, positive understanding and interpretation of Africa was intentionally divorced from the mind of the African during the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. It, it was intentional. Yeah. And so even to the point you would get beat for trying to retain remnants of your Afrocentricity, such as your name. There's a famous movie called Roots. Yeah. And, you know, um, he's getting beaten. It's like, what's your name? It's like Kunta. Kunta yeah. Kente. So yeah. basically he beats him until he says, my name is Toby. Okay. It's a, it's a fictional movie, but it is representative of actual events that happened. So if you imagine, let's say your great, 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 great grandfather was like, you were told all these negative things about Africa, right? Yeah. After a while, you lose the consciousness where there's no auntie, there's no uncle there where you're reminded of food or anything like that. Yeah. And then your circle is who you hang around, so who do you know that's going there? True. So if you take even just recently, let's just say my grandfather, mm-hmm. they may not have a consciousness of what it... Like, th- there's no more like it historical memory. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in their mindset, okay. And then what you're taught in school, literally most school black history is this. Um, slavery... Mm-hmm. Civil rights, Martin Luther King, and now Barack Obama. And that's it. That's it. Wow. No, that, literally, that is yeah, the black it. history curriculum. Oh, my the gosh. And, 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 and we don't really know. Yeah. Um, like, we don't have, like, let's say I have a friend like you to say, hey, man, you've been to Ghana. Like, tell me what it's really like. Yeah. And I can ask those silly questions like, is it lions? Is it tigers? And you not judge me, right? Yeah. To be able to say, wow, okay, now I want to go. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just the historically... Just being miseducated, undereducated, yeah. um, and just not having a, 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 a network of people who've actually been to tell you, like, oh, this is really what it is. This is what okay. it's not. Let me show you some pictures from my trip. Okay. So basically, it's just basically it's just not being exposed to Africa, pretty co- much. African culture, and pretty much. the continent, the, co- the continent. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And like you would think that some of these, you think like maybe platforms like maybe CNN, who does give visibility to Africa. Like I think before we started recording this, I talked to you about how my dad got, got me into watching um african voices which inspired me i think that played a, a role in creating this podcast um so you would think that there's enough media there's enough yeah. content out there for you to have some visibility to africa i mean of course now ghana's a bit more on the map now yeah yeah return and things like that but still like you still get some ignorance but um 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah. crazy. But anyway, um, fast forward, um, you, you've moved to Ghana. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you still obviously um, travel to America quite a bit. What's been your first impressions like of Ghana? Like, what were your first impressions yeah. when you came over, actually? <laughs> People, I'm, I'm, listen, if there's a Ghanaian watching this right now, like a Ghanaian Ghanaian, he's going to laugh at what I'm going to say. But when I first came here in 2007, yeah. I said, man, this is heaven. <laughs> really? Seriously. Wow. <laughs> I'm wow. serious, man. It, it, like, you yeah. haven't really experienced... What, what was it that made okay, it? Was so it everything? Like? It, what it was is people really don't understand what it's like. Some people, some people don't understand what it's like every day to be reminded that your skin color is a, a liability. Every day you're reminded. Oh, okay. So when you come to Ghana yeah, 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 and you yeah. literally just feel like a human being, yeah. it's the feeling of just like, I can relax. I can relax. Like, like I don't have to worry. Like No tension. No. No racial tension. So that... Did you get that a lot in America? Man, that's, oh, man. That, listen, Charlie, that's every day. Every day. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's a, a, like asking about police corruption <laughs> in Ghana. <laughs> it's every day. Nah, USA is tough, man, because in the UK, it's there, but it's not... It's not as strong as intense and in, in as America. Yeah. yeah, I've never really experienced it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and I think the challenge is when you know more about history. Yeah. Then you can contextualize what you see differently. Yeah. So when you see, oh, this is why America, relatively in terms of population, is one of the more smaller countries in the world. But yet we incarcerate people at a higher rate than anybody in the whole world. And then you look at who is makes up most of their populations, African-Americans and the Hispanic population. Yeah. And you say, well, man, are, are just black people just prone to criminality? And then when you understand the history, you realize, oh, no, actually, this is very systemic. Yeah. It's very systemic and very intentional. So I think that's the challenge. So when you start knowing all of these things, patterns, yeah. and then you come to a place like Ghana where you're ignorant, you know, to a degree of like the history, systemic issues, the stuff that you may see after living here for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. All you see is I'm not a black person. Yeah. And I think it was just, let me tell you exactly what it was. When we got off the plane, mm. this was a while ago when okay. you had to like get off the plane and catch yeah. the, the, the bus to that terminal. And the old terminal had the lady that. That, with, the, with the fruit basket that said Aquaba. Okay. Like yeah, that yeah, was I the old that. terminal. I missed that terminal, man. <laughs> so, oh. you, so you get off yeah. the plane and it's the red dirt. And you're thinking like, wow, this is the dust that God made humans from. That's what you see. Now he's speaking poetry, guys. It's That's true. what you see. But it's true. And then you see people who look like you everywhere. Yeah. You're just mesmerized. You're just like, you can't believe it. I can't believe like, everyone's black here. I I'm telling my, you. That's one of my guests said in season one. She had a similar experience. And, and because we've never lived in that reality. You see the billboards and, and it's, it, you're just literally mesmerized. Yeah. And I think it was also... I, I felt like there was a seven-week trip the first time I came. Okay. And when you came, was it? Oh, you said it was, was that through a mission trip? Yeah, came, yeah. Right? It was. It was a mission trip. It was college students, black college okay. students. It was about twelve or thirteen of us okay. uh, from all over the U.S. And we went to like Sunyani, Kumasi, wow, all these different places. Got a crash course in Ghana, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was interesting because we did more like evangelism. Uh, we didn't really learn anything about the culture except just like on the fly. Like there was no courses or anything like okay. that. But being in the environment was enough to take in. And actually, some of the relationships I developed with Ghanaians there are actually some of our partners now yeah. with the nonprofit that we have. But it was just seeing the beauty of the people. Um, and I tell the story um, um, and some other things, but I'll, I'll tell it here very quickly. Even interpretations of what beauty is, I didn't realize how skewed mine was. Like, I thought beautiful was like blonde hair and blue eyes. 
And that doesn't mean that can't that's not beautiful. That just may be a variation of it. I yeah. thought the epitome of, of beauty was like that. That, yeah. When because I, of people brain, 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 brain works, yeah. right? Like Barbie doll and all this kind of stuff. And so when I was in the States, I said, you know, I'm going to marry a white woman. And and, 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 no. and I want to get this clear, not in a way like as a... Um, it's, I don't. I don't, I'm not a person that's like anti this. You got to marry. Yeah. You marry who you, you, you want to love. Yeah. But I'm. I'm speaking to the 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 magnitude of the brainwashing, believing that there's one st- standard of beauty, right? And success means that it looks like this. But when I came to Ghana, hey, Charlie, as a single guy, <laughs> even though I was a Christian, yeah, my eyes were not blind. Temptation. Hey! Is that thing natural? (laughs) Oh man, you're ducking and diving, right? It's not ducking. Hey, man, I'm telling you. Oh man, I went back. I I promise you, man. I went back to the states and I said, God, I want to marry a black woman. Okay, I'm not kidding you. So that that took that got rid of the whole I want to marry a white woman thing. But it it was I, I I saw beauty. In a different way. Okay, you, yeah. And it exposed me to, okay, I, I thought that this was the only standard of beauty. Yeah. But I didn't know, I hadn't seen Ghana beauty yet. You oh, know, that African, okay. that African beauty. That African beauty. Beauty, yeah. That shea the butter, opened, like organic. You, you had a, yeah. um, you had the epiphany of yeah, African yeah. beauty. Wow, man, that's, that's powerful. I think I went through a similar kind of um, transformation. I think when I was younger, I, you know what? It really is your environment that, imp- that that's what that it is. Dictates that's what it is. When I was younger, right? I was like primary school. I was like one of the only black kids in my primary school. Of course, when I got into secondary school and university, obviously, I was around. I was surrounded by a lot more black people. Um, I was I was more kind of leaning towards the white white lady, the white woman, you know, being you know being yeah. attracted to that or light skin, mixed race, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I got older, I started to appreciate and you know be more attracted to my dark skin sisters, my African yeah. sisters, my black sisters, and that kind of whole mindset. One and the white woman, it went, it disappeared. You understand? Yeah. Um, so I definitely see where you're coming from. Wow, that's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff, and. Uh, um, so your first impressions were like it's heaven yeah um, like what were some of the things that you okay so of course like being black and not really having to worry about racism too much that was yeah. one big factor was there any other things that you said that really stood out to you when you came um, I felt like I was lied to cause you Whoa. know cause you know I told you right black history is yeah slavery yeah. Martin Luther King we didn't have Barack Obama back then, yeah. then, but that's where it ended. <laughs> it's true. So when I got here, I said, wow, like, and I started hearing stories, of Shanti Kingdom, this kingdom, and that, and this, and this. I said, okay. whoa. So now you're starting to see black people being depicted as kind of like royalty as, oh, oh as kind of like ruling. Yeah, that, yeah. In and, that and, sense. And, 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 and it, it, slaves. It was different. It was literally all polar opposite. Exactly, right? exactly, so exactly. You, like what's maybe depicted in Black Panther, all these kind of movies. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just, it was just transformative to see and live in an environment where, number one, I didn't have the consciousness of, of blackness, every day being the central forefront of my identity. But then I got to question, well, who am I if I'm not a black person first? Yeah. Right? And, you know, and uh, so it was those things. And I think just the different lifestyles. And I think when I saw some of the similarities, for example, when I went to church for the first time in Ghana, we went to a very charismatic church. Yeah. And some of my other friends that, you know, weren't used to that church. I grew up in a very charismatic church. Yeah. Like, like like charismatic like, like is it like is it one of those churches where they're all like you know shouting or hollering yes if you take this and oh, that kind of thing yeah and then, and then you're that, hearing the, the organ 
and you're hearing the organs play along with it. Is, is it that kind of church? <laughs> Sorry, I haven't got the best impression. But I've yeah. watched watch some I've watched a lot of like Ameri- so, so now, so, American movies. So now like I see that. what it sounds like, you know, yeah. for, for others who watch it. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. The God is you gonna do yeah. in the yeah. name of yeah. yeah. And it was like I grew yeah, up in a church so where cool. I was very Pentecostal church, laying okay. on hands, healing yeah. and okay. people running around screaming, falling out. Over so dramatic. when I came to Ghana Over dramatic, yeah. Um and I saw that same thing, honestly it felt like home. Okay. So it really made me question, whoa, like there's linkages between these places. Yeah. And I didn't have the the resources or the capacity to research, but I had that question planted in my mind, like, yo, there's a lot of similarities between us. Okay. So so where did they come from? And it just placed that in my mind, you know, at that time of like, we have a lot in common. Yeah. But it's the fact that America heavily influences um Africa I mean Africa, especially Ghana. I mean it's heavily influ- it heavily influences Ghana. So um, you'd you'd probably think that some of these Ghanaian, um, you know, church leaders, etc., they would look to kind of like the American leaders and try and emulate what they're seeing out there. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah. To an extent, but then even even if you look at the history of like, let's say, um, let's say like what you know what what folks call the the the, the primal religion, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just African, but it's just more like. African religion is more primal, like connected with the earth and the universe and all that and animals and different deities and other, you know, religions have the same thing. But if you look at, for example, like if you go to a church, some churches in Ghana, it's very charismatic. People are very loud and stuff like that. And sometimes, regardless of the denomination, you may find some of those same like highly charismatic, you know, things. Right. And when you took those Africans from Africa and they went to uh, places like the West Indies, Brazil. They went to the States. They didn't lose that Africanness in their styles of worship. In fact, you know what I'm saying? A lot of it is incorporated into what we do. And that's where it comes from, right? It comes yeah. from West Africa. That's Africa yeah. But, um, you know, without getting into a long discourse, yeah. you, you don't know the history. And so, if, like, for, for example, for me, I was taught that, you know, basically it's wrong, right? Like, like you guys are too charismatic. You're running around. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. But this is more of a sophisticated way of doing it. Like you're more refined, more, you know, educated. But when I realized where it came from, it made me appreciate, right? Yeah. Both, right? It's, it's, there's a value in being able to express yourself authentically, but when you don't have the history to contextualize what you're seeing, the lens that you view it through may be a negative yeah, one. Yeah. And I think, so So, so now when I see context, it, yeah. now granted, some things, Charlie, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is too oh, much. Man, yeah, I think so. But it's not like a, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is wrong, anything like that. It just made me contextualize things differently. Definitely, yeah. Look, while we're, while we're on the topic of Christianity and churches, I mean, I was going to go there later on, but but let's, let's probably go there now. Um, so of course, I've, I mean, you you, you put out a sure video. It doesn't, doesn't fall down. That's no, no. okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Make it's sure. fine. Sorry. Um, yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. So yeah, you put out a video. I'm um, talking about why you stopped going to church in Ghana. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, some of the points you made were, I mean, were quite valid. I mean, first and foremost, I think, um, of course, you know, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Bible, if you have the, if God is everywhere, you know, you can still. To communicate with God, you can still fellowship, etc. And especially the church started in the houses, right? It yeah. didn't really start in the building, whatever. So um, if you've got people around you who are of the faith and you can fellowship with them and you can worship God with the Bible and etc., then you're good. That's the first thing I want to say. Um, secondly, I think, of course, like in Ghana, right? I mean, right now, it's a, I mean, there's lots of controversy. I mean, you've got pastors who um, 
raking in maybe millions or thousands of dollars. You know, they're driving yeah. very flashy cars. I mean, I know one of my, I think one of my friends, Pastor's drives a Ferrari in Ghana. You know what I mean? Um, each to their own, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's the, you know each to their own. Um, yeah. got the, you know, got the ministries or the churches that, um, that are mega churches, thousands of people, um, you won't name them, but thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll question, you know, like the, you know, how you'll question the content, you know, i.e., you know, is it prosperity gospel? Um, and then you're gonna have churches that are double standards. You understand? Um, I mean, it's a mess. You understand? Yeah, it's yeah. a mess. So it's really hard to find, you know, authentic churches in Ghana, and it's really hard to find authentic communities because a lot of the churches in Ghana portrayed as, you know, businesses or establishments. Mm. And um, my father, my, my father actually, I think one of the, one of the things that stops him from coming coming to the Christian faith properly is the way he perceives churches yeah, and ministries yeah, in yeah. Ghana as as a business and yeah. just trying to take their money and not really giving them much in return and, and they're suffering kind of thing and they haven't really got their breakthroughs and stuff. What's your depiction? Um, talk me through your 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 I mean Ghana Ghanaian churches through your lenses and and the issues that you're seeing you're spotting. I mean I made that video because I realized when I had conversations off camera with a lot of people, my sentiments were their sentiments. It's just that they felt like they couldn't say it, yeah. right? You know, Ghana is more, um, it's not about the individual, you know, in the States, it's, just, it's, it's the individual. And Ghana is more about the family, how you're perceived by society and everything like that. So I yeah. had the liberty, in a sense, to talk about things that some people felt like they couldn't talk about. But okay. the reality was, it was more so me being in a place of analyzing the... Of course, this is not all Ghana. You know what I mean? I, I'm not going to dare say I've been to every Ghana church yeah, because that's not, that's yeah. not, and I'm not going to depict that. But yeah. I think that I was just, honestly, man, I was just tired, dude. I was tired of not having a deeper, more substantive, more practical presentation of biblical yeah. truth. Yeah. I came to Ghana and I just was like, yo, like, Charlie, why is there rubbish everywhere? <laughs> but yet, as leaders, and we're mostly Christian, True. but we're not addressing this issue. That's why I said double standards, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Or like, we, we, will, we will complain about a lady wearing something and this and that. But, or even, if, if you want to go there, we'll complain about GLBTQ. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, oh yeah, I guarantee you, if you did a survey yeah. of like a million Ghanaians and you ask them, what are your top... Three concerns right now. Yeah. Some of the issues that we are so emphatic about in our churches would not make that list. I guarantee you. It's true. It's true. They'll be concerned about jobs. Yeah. Maybe education. Yeah. Just maybe overall, like, how do I make a better life for myself? Yeah. Just the more kind of like less essential things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So for me, it was like when I came to Ghana, it wasn't necessarily a bash on the church. It was personally i was just tired of priorities are messed up isn't I, it? I was tired of going to church man to be honest yeah. with you i mean the priorities are messed the priorities are not in the right place yeah. and the heart of, of some people are not in the right place you know what i mean it's yeah. just take 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 and you know we want to look good yeah um but yeah you know one thing i noticed actually tim is um on some like you the thing interesting thing about garners right these are the, these are some things i've noticed right like um you could see people on a, on a throughout a day-to-day basis when it gets to sunday I don't care where you're from. It could be a village. I don't. It could be. A, it could be a town. It could be. Yeah, know, yeah. It's true. It's airport, true. Airport, Austria, whatever. You're gonna see people rock their Sunday best. Yeah, yeah. And then you're gonna see people that you thought didn't really have money dress well. Look, I'm really, telling really you. Good. I'm like, 
yo, didn't you do this the other day? Didn't you say that the other day? I'm like, okay, and you're going to okay, you're going to church? Okay, cool, interesting. And then and then the way you see people flock to um to churches on yeah, yeah. you know, New Year's Eve and yeah. Easter, all the all those well, the days, you understand? I just find it I find it fascinating. Yeah. But then the same people would, would do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So there's a lot of double standards, there's a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. There are good but when you do find, you know, honest, faithful yeah. transparent Christians and leaders they're really good people and I, I think what it, what it shows is for me what it made me think about is like culture transcends even religion so for example because of a lot of conditions in Ghana such as poverty economics education it creates a certain culture in Ghana a culture of some of the negative things like well the positive things are the resourcefulness the innovation people hustle Charlie in Ghana people hustle yeah sometimes the negative parts are the bribery the corruption and all that all that's a part of the culture it's part of it, yeah. so that is so strong okay. that even though we are religious yeah. that cultural aspect listen just because I love God yeah. doesn't mean that I'm going to have food on Monday so on Monday <laughs> I'm still going to do what I have to do because yeah. remember I may go to a church yeah that pacifies me and tells me to pray about it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's very similar in the States. And that's one of the reasons why I stopped going because in the States, you literally, in a lot of African-American communities, the way Ghana churches are, there are so many, yeah. it's the same thing there. It's the same, <laughs> the same thing, thing there. Yeah, so many churches. I mean, they're churches, just, yeah. and me, and my, one of my, me and one of my colleagues, we, yeah. we joked and said, you know, a lot of the churches just need to be torn down. Like, yeah. nobody gets hurt, obviously. Yeah. But like, just close it, just because yeah. some of them, in my opinion, are doing more damage than good. A hundred million percent. It's. I told my friend that some of the churches are probably doing more damage than some of the some of the nightclubs you see. Here. No, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because when you have a person <laughs> that can blindly follow someone, yeah, it can become very dangerous. Mm. And if if you don't help a person tap into the creativity and the innovation that God has given them. Like, this is what I think about. How is it possible, right, that people can come from the outside and any place, Ghana, the U.S., any place, right? Yeah. And the land we're sitting on, you say, there's nothing here. But somebody else comes in and say, wow, I see a building here. I see this. I see this. I see this. Yeah. Or you take, let's say, uh, some herb or something. You say, man, this is rubbish. Yeah. But then somebody else can come and say, no, no, no. I can create this, 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 and this, and this. The only difference between those two people is exposure and information. Yeah. And so what I think about is how is it that Powerful. if Ghana is nothing and all, listen, if the only thing we had to do was pray, yeah. then the whole of Africa would be the most developed continent in the world Ooh. because Africans are some of the most praying people. But what happens is we don't, we don't have a theology that is connected to the practical things of God versus some of these things that are not as practical, right? We pray, we, you know, you just come and pray, you just do the right thing, but we're not having leaders that really challenge people to think about how do we solve the, 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 the education issues that we have in Ghana? How do we solve the doomsaw? Yeah. Like, how do we solve these real issues that people are facing? Yeah. Because God has given us the... Why is Thank it... Thank you. Yeah, I don't want to go on... I say I'll go, no, I'll, yeah, go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go on the soapbox, man. Preach, no, 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 I'll go preach, on the soapbox, man. Preach, but Pastor Tim. I'll go on the soapbox. You see why but. I said by this guy that you can't put in the box. I mean, he, he does so much and you can you can give yeah. him so many titles. But, but, but then it comes back down to me too. Because after yeah. I do all this, that's yeah. why for me it's like, okay, now I'm passionate about doing what I'm doing. Because after I point the finger at everybody else, yeah. I have to say, okay, Tim, what is God giving you the ability and the space and time to do right yeah. now? 
Yeah. You focus on that. Mm -hmm. And then that's what you're supposed to be doing. I think that if we had people who were doing that, and I'm not the standard by no means, mm -hmm. but I just believe that, I mean, I just got tired of going to church, man. To be honest with you, I was in a place where, like, I was really questioning a lot of things. And I, th I think it's okay. Like, uh, um, there was a rapper um, who is like a, he's like a freaking legend, right, in, <laughs> in, in Christian hip-hop. Yeah. And he recently came out and, and basically, he didn't say he's anti-church or nothing like that, but he basically said, I'm struggling and I feel like I cannot participate in the type of Christianity that I was used to participating in because I have all these questions. And to continue to participate in it would be disingenuine and not authentic. Okay. So I'm choosing to remove myself from it. Okay. I think I know you're talking about, but yeah, go on. And I understand where he's coming from because mm -hmm. I think that the, 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 the faith journey is just that it's a journey. Mm. Man, you have questions that sometimes you don't have answered. Yeah. And I think that... Um, you know, yeah, when you have questions and stuff like that, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a break, you know what I'm saying? So I took a break. I mean, I still have a, I, actually, I'm, consequently, I'm actually going to church now. Okay. Um, I found I found a good church, but okay. um, yeah. I had a community of great people that I've been connected with, good, godly people where they can check me and say, hey, you're wrong in this. You're yeah. arrogant. You're being prideful. You need to, I have accountability. And yeah. so, and after a while, let's just be honest, a lot of us are going to church mm -hmm. for nothing. We're True. not getting anything out of it. True. We go to church. True. When church is finished, what did you learn? Oh, Charlie, I don't know. It's, it's it, it was nice. It's, I think you said in one of your videos, like people just, they just, they dress up because it's, because it's all we know, right? We dress up, we go on Sundays, we know we have to dress up, we go to church, we, you know, we go to the sermon, we, you know, we, we speak to people after church. Yeah, that's all we know. Eat. It became more of a routine than yeah. actual relationship with God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, yo, I mean, these are topics that we can go in for hours and yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to learn. I want to know about um, Anadaso 360 or um, yeah. your organization. Let's just talk about more, more about that. Yeah. So, so, um, so the word you know Anadaso is is you know hope, yeah. you know, and tree, and uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but so we chose that because just like this conversation we're having, a colleague of mine, we had this conversation, <clears throat> and we said, you know, we have to do something, right? We have mm -hmm. to start something. So we started the organization. He's actually, I met him in Ghana, actually. He's an American, black American, and um, I met him in Ghana. We stayed connected over the years. And one day we were in my kitchen, and we were talking about problems just like we're talking about, yeah. and both of us in education, and we said, listen, we hear too many conversations that end with no application. And we challenged each other. We said, listen, if we don't do something about this, then we're just like everybody else. Mm. And the conversation was, well, what can we do? And we started assessing, well, what have been the most transformative agents of our lives? Number one, it's our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It's our relationship with the continent yeah. and knowing who we are as African descended peoples. And it's our ability to, we, we know how to move in society. Navigate, yeah. So let's just start right there. We had no money. <laughs> we, had, we had a little bit of money. Okay, bootstrapped. <laughs> I, I don't recommend this to people. You start an organization, but you know, yeah. we, we invested like $20,000 okay. of our own money. Yeah. Bringing people, it was a group of, I think like 12 African American men, college age. Okay. Five five weeks here in Ghana. Okay. It's a leadership challenge. Okay. Our goal was to. So, so, you, so you, <clears throat> you pay them to, to to you pay them to come. So we pay for them to come. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, through scholarship. I mean, they had to raise money. Okay. But through the oh my god, through the scholarships, the trips to get here, the setup, and all that, it, it was at least about twenty thousand. Of course. It was a. It's, it's a lot of money. It's yeah, a lot it's of a money. Lot of money. It's not cheap. And our only vision was to basically at that time we didn't have a vision. Our vision now is to uh, revitalize disenfranchised communities. But our mm -hmm. vision was. Let's just help black men, 
Mm-hmm. At the time, it was only men. Now it's opened up to men and women. Okay. Let's help black men know who God has created them to be. Yeah. And we know a central part of that is reconnecting with the continent. Continent, yeah. And so we said, what do we do with this whole Christian piece? We're not doing a mission trip because that's yeah. not what we do. Yeah. Okay, well, let's infuse some biblical principles. So we yeah. created Ghana 360. Okay. The Ghana 360 program focuses, focuses on spiritual, cultural, professional development. Spiritual, where we go into the scriptures, we look at African theologians, we look at, you know, Pan-African leaders, and we draw out these principles. Cultural, because obviously we're connecting them with, you know, even hearing from African lecturers and stuff like that. And then the professional development piece, actually leadership development is focused on things like health and wellness, you know? Health and wellness. So every day we would start our day with exercise. Wow. Um, and it was mandatory. It was compulsory. Like you couldn't get out yeah. of it. Okay. Um, and so our goal was when you go back to the States, mm-hmm. we want you to exemplify biblical leadership, mm-hmm. how to, how to utilize this system. Cause there's a lot of opportunity in this system. There is. And whatever God has called you to do, do it to the best of your ability. Amen. Utilize the loans, the grants, the, all this stuff, the education that you get here. But yeah. now do it with a purpose. purpose. Do it with a purpose. Yeah. And if we can help you do that, then, you know what I'm saying, we've accomplished our goal. So long story short, man, through the years, we evolved from just a men-only trip to men and women, just okay. from college age to all ages. And so now we mobilize people to go come back and forth to the continent. And we're looking actually to create more experiences within the African diaspora. Two other places we're looking at right now is Jamaica and Brazil. Wow. Because Brazil got actually the highest number of enslaved Africans through this transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. And that has a significant impact on that, how that community was formed. Okay. And Jamaica, because that's a whole different experience a of being, yeah. you know, a person of African descent. And it's a, yeah. logistically, it's a whole lot closer to the States and a whole lot less expensive, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's breathtaking. I mean, and how's the journey been in terms of like starting it and then where, where it is today? Like, have you, has, it been, has it been worth it? Like some of the transformations <laughs> that you've seen people go through? Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is like yeah, very unselfish. Like, Yeah, it's not, it's not easy, man. It's not easy, man. Charlie? Yeah, it's not easy. Sometimes I look back and I'm just like, I'm grateful we didn't know what we know now back then. Really? Yeah, because we wouldn't have started. Okay. Because when you go through the process of knowing like the legal ramifications, the financial ramifications, like accountants, lawyers, and it's too much. It's the like the risk when you bring somebody here, even though they sign liabilities, but you like it's aye, it's too much. Yeah. So I'm grateful that we were ignorant in the beginning. The question is, is it worth it? Absolutely, man. Absolutely, because I think about my experience. That it was a missions trip, but that trip to Africa in okay. 2007. Okay. But the impact movement yeah. literally was a catalyst of my spiritual and cultural transformation. Wow. So but let me get this right. Because of the experience that you had on that trip and the experiences you encountered in Ghana, you basically wanted everybody else, I mean, back in the States, experiences. Yeah. I mean, that trip. Well, as, well, as many as people. It, as it, yeah. It just, it just changed my mind. Yeah. And I came back again in 2013 with another missions trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually the trip that made me realize I need to bring people back to Ghana. Yeah. And then I think a year later, I started having those conversations with my friend. But it was that trip that made me realize I forgot what I forgot what this felt like, (laughs) you know. Yeah. And I said, okay, I have to bring other people back. Okay. When's the next? I mean, do do you have programs planned for this year? How often do you do it? Yeah. um, So usually they're once a year. Uh, Right now, we're actually working on scaling up so we can do multiple ones. Okay. 
Um, we're looking at the latter part of the year, but the dates have not been solidified as of yet. Okay, yeah, because of COVID as well. I mean, COVID is always... Hey, it's, man, it's, COVID is it, like... It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's been quite a nuisance. It's hard to plan things with COVID being yeah, around yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's something that can uh, come to light this year. Hey, we're really, pretty really powerful stuff. And I want to end up, I want to wrap the episode with, with, with this question here, Tim. So, um, of course, you've come... You've moved to Ghana. I mean, obviously, you still go back to the States here and there, et cetera. Um, how do you see um, or why do you believe that people need to, like, relocate to Africa just like you've relocated? Like, what other reasons would you say that people need to come, move, relocate to Africa or to Ghana and to, you know, give their skill sets um, to, the, to, to the continent? And what do you think the, the future of Africa is like? Man, that's a great question. Um I think that, to be clear, my my primary focus is people of African descent, particularly African Americans and those in the diaspora, first. Yeah. So that's primarily who I'm speaking to when I give my response. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us, we don't know our histories and our legacies. And just like for myself, it was absolutely transformative just to be in an environment. I'm not talking about educational, politically, economically, but just to be in that environment. And what I experienced is what, as you said, the other person on your podcast and so many other people say, right? Yeah. And it literally transforms our paradigm. Wow. There's some research connected to that, yeah. um, which is what my colleague does. He talks about these cultural immersion experiences and their impact, their impact mm-hmm. on our cognitive framework. Yeah. But I think that, number one, particularly if I'm starting with people in the diaspora, I think that let's talk about economically. Right. They say that this is what's called the third scramble for Africa, because you have so many Western nations that are coming in who see the opportunities in every arena. Oh, yeah. Agriculture, yeah. technology, mm-hmm. you know, fintech. I mean, you name it. You name it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like if you had the opportunity a long time ago, if you knew what you knew now and you could have invested in Bitcoin when it was, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Or a long time ago, if you could foresee the future, you saw, hey, man, Apple's going to be. I think, what, one of the first trillion-dollar companies or whatever. Yeah. And you saw that way back then, you would have jumped in. True. Well, a lot of these other nations, because of all the research they do yeah. about business, mm-hmm. they look at Africa, emerging. not for where it is right now, yeah. but for where they want it to be. Yeah, it's an emerging... And I think that we have to look at it with the same lens, not, not just for our own cultural and spiritual enlightenment and well-being, mm-hmm. but the opportunity, because we do bring a lot of skills and opportunities and resources I mean, to let's just say Ghana, where we could come and we have an idea about something. And the reality is it's a whole lot less red tape to make that idea come into fruition. But not only that, I think the impact of that idea, obviously, if it's beneficial to the people, it goes a long way. It does go a long way. And these are stories, um, uh, stories that you've covered a lot in your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very powerful. I mean, you guys need to check out this, um, this Tim Swain's YouTube channel. If you enjoyed content like this, you need to watch the content and, and get to know the people that he's met and the ideas that people have executed from the west and brought it to ghana absolutely phenomenal yeah so i mean, i think now is just an opportunity and i and i think that i don't even think that people need to relocate i just think we need to change our relationship with the continent mm. our relationship with the continent has been it really has nothing to offer unless unless it's philanthropic or missional. Yeah, it's the stereotypical. Let me come and do a missions trip or let me come and give back. Yeah. But that's the extent of our relationship. Yeah. But if we can reimagine that this is a place of cultural exchange, yeah. economic exchange, educational exchange, yeah. 
then I think that we could transform how we see each other. Yeah. And we can transform even the relationships that we could develop. Because there's a, I mean, there's a, you, know, you got to get some money. <laughs> but once you get some money to do it, I mean, <laughs> that is not free. It's not, yeah, it's not free. Man. But it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. Man. It's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many stories we could probably be here yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tim, Mr. Tim Swain, you have been amazing, man. You yeah, th- and thank you so much, man, for the opportunity and all the work that you're oh, doing, man. Nah, man, thank you for the opportunity for coming on the show. Um, like I said, I'm really fan, big fan of everything that you're doing. Um, so there you have it, guys. Um, that's the episode of Mr. Tim Swain here. Where can people find you, actually? Um, everything, I think, now is Tim Swain. Okay. Yeah, so just Tim Swain, YouTube, Instagram. Um, I have my information. I usually respond to emails a whole lot quicker than sometimes a DM or yeah. a comment. You know? I like that. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got, so. you got to keep first things first, right? Yeah. 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 So There you go. There you go. There you go. And uh, do you have any announcements that you want to make? Um, come on back. Hey, and I'm starting... I got a consulting company, got a book coming out that's going to help you relocate to Ghana. It's actually going to break down all the tips and just the, the, all the lessons that I spent a lot of money learning. <laughs> I'm giving it to you for yeah. a significant discount. So that's coming out really soon, man. I got a book that's coming out that's helping people relocate to the continent. I'm excited about that. I'll probably grab a copy, you know, even if, even though I, I probably know most of the stuff. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you're kind of using your experience and you know, being here in Ghana to give back and to also, you know, use to kind of benefit yourself. I mean, why not? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all go to eat. Um, <laughs> there was one person that actually, you know what, Tim? There was actually one person who um, moved, she came to Ghana, I think maybe for like a month or two. And then she was already claiming to be a relocation expert. Like, yeah. I, I can't stand that. I mean, you've been back here for, for how many years? So you're definitely in your rights to, you know, to come out with this book. So I'm looking forward to it. So we'll have everything in the show notes, um, thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash Tim Swain. So that's T-I-M-S-W-A-I-N. Or if you're watching the YouTube, just click the link below. If you're listening on the podcast platforms, just check out the link on the podcast platform for the show notes. And we'll have the we'll have Tim's upcoming book. Um, we'll have all the information in terms of where you can get your hands in it or where you can pre-order it, etc. Before we end the episode, Tim, what... What do you, what is the sound of Accra to you? So if someone said the word Accra to you, what thoughts, feelings, vibes come to mind from the top of your head? Hmm. The beautiful struggle. The beautiful struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the street hawkers or just someone just trying to get, yeah. get through the day just to survive. The beautiful the struggle. Beautiful struggle. Beautiful. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. Thank you again uh, for tuning in. And I'll see you next time. I've been Adrian Daniels. And you've been Tim Swain. Thank you. See you again. Bye-bye.